are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. We have a family who attends our church. Their names are Davis and Stephanie Hodum. And uh, Davis and Stephanie uh, have three beautiful little kids and now four. And on Monday morning, Stephanie says to Davis, uh, right before 7 o'clock, it is time to get me to the hospital to deliver this baby. He got her into the car and he says to her, just being somewhat concerned, do you think we're okay? Should we call 911? She goes, no, we're okay. We just need to get to the hospital. He said, okay, I'm going to run in and get one thing. And he says, Pastor Rick, it was like 30 seconds. I ran into the house, grabbed one thing, closed the door, came back. And when I came back to the car, Jubilee Carice Holdem was entering the world in that moment in our car, front seat. And I said, man, Davis, what was that like? And he goes, well, it was everything you can imagine. He said, finally, when she was born 30 seconds later, he said, my wife looked at me as calmly as she could and laughed and said, Davis, we did it. <laughs> and they wrapped that little baby in a bath towel. Glenn Holcomb came up and Misty Jaggers came up and they were trying to help out and uh, they called 911 and they told them what not to do and what to do and gave them good instruction and then first responders showed up and got them to the hospital. In fact, Davis and Stephanie are here with Jubilee, right? Would you guys stand up just really quick and let us greet you? We would love to do that this morning. I think we all try to identify with that event when Jesus came into the world. And the interesting thing that Davis and Stephanie said to Annette and me when we were at their house getting to hold little Jubilee the other day, they said the thing that we, we were so aware of through that process, here's a baby wrapped in a towel in our arms in this very crude environment. There's pavement, there's a car door, there's trees, there's a sky this very raw, crude environment, this very non-sterile environment, we could not help but think about Jesus coming into the world like that. And I think in all of our desire to identify with Joseph and Mary and Jesus being born, I think Jubilee Carice Holdem gave a gift to that handful of people to help them identify with Jesus coming into our world. That event, okay, that event of Jesus coming into this world, God with us, Jesus coming to save his people, that event of his entrance, what you do with that is the most important decision you will ever make in all of your life. What you decide in regard to that event, how you respond to that event, what you do with that event, the decisions that you make in regard to that event will determine so much of your life. It is the most important decision that you'll ever make. Now, some of you guys over here would say, hey, Rick, we're choosing friends and that kind of thing. And you have told us for a few years now that the friends you choose is one of the most important decisions you'll ever make. It is, but it's not as important as this decision. Or you might say, Rick, you've told us for a long time that who we choose to marry is one of the most important decisions you'll make. It is. But it's not as important as the decision that you make regarding Jesus Christ. 
I mean, when you think about it, it will influence every aspect of your life. Your moral code, how you determine what is right and wrong, is influenced by what you decide to do in regard to Jesus. The way that you view money, what you believe money is for and how you use money, will be determined by how you decide to respond to Jesus. What you do with friendships in your life and how you view friendships will be determined by how you decide to respond to Jesus. It will influence every aspect of your life. It will determine the kind of person that you end up being. And not only does it influence every aspect of your life in this world, but it is the greatest determining factor in regard to your life in the world to come. And so I want to take you back to Matthew's narrative in chapter 2 now that we have made it to at this point. Verse 1. Here's, here's what Matthew does that is interesting. Unlike Luke, when he tells the story of Jesus coming into the world, describing that event. When Matthew gets to the end of chapter 1, here's the way the last verse ends, okay? And she, meaning Mary, gave birth to a son. And he, meaning Joseph, gave him the name Jesus. And then Matthew, from the last verse of chapter 1 to the first verse of chapter 2, guess what he does? He does what nobody else does. He jumps ahead two years in the narrative, okay? And here's the way it starts. Jesus is living in Bethlehem as a two-year-old with his mother and father, Mary and Joseph. This is before the escape to Egypt and the return. And then Luke tells us they move back to Nazareth, and that's where Jesus spends most of his growing up years, okay? So after Jesus, verse 1, was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, that gives you the time. They don't give you years in the ancient world. They give you when kings were reigning. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. You might say, I don't know what a Magi is. So the word that Matthew uses in the Greek to describe, describe Magi would, would also be sometimes translated a magician or an astrologer or one who interprets dreams. Um, what scholars would agree on here is that these were probably priests from ancient Persia. And so these would be considered region, regional, I, I should say, religious leaders. They were probably religious advisors to kings, those kinds of men. So these magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, Where is the one who has been born? Would you read this phrase with me? You ready? King of the Jews. We saw a star when it rose. And we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Do you know why King Herod was disturbed? Because he had a title. Do you know what his title was? King of the Jews. And all of a sudden, three magi show up in Jerusalem and say... Where is the one born king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. It would be like me shaking hands with somebody this morning and saying, Hi, I'm Rick. I'm the pastor here at Bethany First Church. And their response would be, Oh, that's interesting because I'm the pastor here at Bethany First Church. So Herod was greatly disturbed. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. Oh, you're telling me. You're telling me there was a promise that God made. Yes. There was always a promise. 
that God made years before through a prophet named Micah. And here's what the promise was about. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will do what? Shepherd my people Israel. Many years ago, God made a promise. And he made the promise through the prophet Micah. And the promise was that out of you, Judah, will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So, how does Herod respond to all of this that's going on in his kingdom? Well, verse 7 says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared in the sky. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Okay, here's what I want you guys to do. Go, please go. Search carefully. Find the child. And as soon as you find him, please do this for me, will you? Uh, As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Okay, that is a bold-faced lie. Because what you read in the next few paragraphs is that he wants to kill him. He wants no threat of another king. Well, after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. So when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, not the stable, mind you, this is two years later... They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they got down on their knees, they bowed down, and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I mean, some of you have toddlers in your house. Can you imagine what it would be like if some people knocked on your door one night after dinner? And they opened the door, and you could see they were very special people. And they walked in, and they got on their knees in front of your little baby toddler. And they brought gold and frankincense and myrrh and they put it at his feet. I mean, just think about what was Mary and Joseph feeling in these moments. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is God's word for us today. Amen? Amen. So, I got a picture I want to show you, okay? So just put it on the screen right here. This is a picture that my friend Rick Rain sent to me. And these are his two granddaughters on a very special visit to the mall. So I thought you might get a kick out of this. Here we go. (laughs) Don't you love it? (laughs) I think it's an awesome picture. How do you describe that picture? What's going on there? So if I've got to describe the picture, here's my evaluation. You ready? Here's my description. I think that I would call that picture two very different responses to the same event. You okay with that? You are? I think if I look at the picture, I'm going to say, okay, I've got to describe that. I think here's my caption. Two very different reactions, responses to the same event. While ago, when I stood up, I said to you that what you do with the event that took place 2,000 years ago when Jesus came into the world is the most important decision you will never make in your life. You will ever make in your life. You can take the picture down. Thanks. Rick, why do you want to say that to us? We got it. We heard you. Loud and clear. You can move on. The reason I want to talk to you about that is simply this, because everybody doesn't respond to that event in the same way. And there's nowhere in all of Scripture that you see that more plainly emphasized than you do in the narrative I read to you from Matthew this morning. 
So let's talk about how we got here and what happens, okay? So there is a guy whose name is Herod. What happens to the land of Palestine? Do you know what Palestine would comprise of? That would be Israel and Judah. So what happens to the land of Palestine in about 63 B.C. is that the Roman Empire is continuing to build stream and they're continuing to conquer more and more parts of the world. Well, in 63, they conquer Palestine. So what was not unusual for them is that they would go into a region that they had conquered and instead of putting their own person in charge, they may take a local person and put them in charge. Not unusual at all. This was their practice. And so they choose a man whose name is Herod. And they put him in charge of Palestine under Roman rule. You'll rule over your own people. What Herod does is he does so well working the angles kind of playing both sides with the Romans, that in about 40 B.C., they give him a title, the Roman Senate does. And here's what the title is. King of the Jews. You say, well, was he Jewish? He was half Jew. He was other half Edomite. But he usurped the throne by aligning with the Romans... And working with them so well that he got to be king. Did the people in Palestine love him? No. What was he like? He was terribly suspicious. And this is so important that you understand this as you work your way through the story. What do you mean suspicious? I mean suspicious may be mild. Maybe he was paranoid. What was he paranoid about? He was paranoid that somebody was going to take his throne. It drove him nuts. What do you mean it drove him nuts? I mean it drove him nuts to the point that he had one of his wives killed. Because he thought she might be trying to take his throne. Then he had a mother-in-law killed because he thought she might be trying to take his throne. Then he had one of his sons murdered because he thought he might be trying to take his throne. Then he had another son murdered because he thought he was trying to take his throne. Then he had a third son murdered because he thought he was trying to take his throne. So you can imagine... How it went over when three magi came to Jerusalem one day and said, Where is the one who is born king of the Jews? <laughs> we have come to worship him. And so his response is hostility and jealousy and fear and paranoia. And we know that because when he is outwitted by the magi and they don't come and report where they found baby Jesus, what does he do? He creates this order, and the order says, I want you to go to Bethlehem, and I want you to kill in the vicinity around Bethlehem, and I want you to kill every boy who is two years old and younger. There is nobody who is going to challenge my throne. I have killed people who challenged my throne before, and I will kill many to keep my throne now. And the angel came and said to Joseph, get out of town. And then two years later, the angel came to Joseph in Egypt and said, You can go back to town. The one who sought to kill your son is dead. You know what Herod was saying? I have a lot of power, and I don't want to lose my power. I have a lot of control, and I like being in control. I've created a really comfortable life for myself and I like being comfortable. And nobody, 
is going to threaten my power. And nobody is going to threaten my control. And nobody is going to threaten the fact that I'm very comfortable. Can you imagine? Can you imagine somebody saying, I don't want Jesus in my life because I want to be in control. I want the power. I want to drive. I want the controls in my hand. And maybe, just maybe, just maybe, just maybe there really is only one sin. And that's it. You know what I think disturbs me more than Herod? I think it's the scribes and the teachers of the law, the chief priest. They've been waiting for the Messiah for lots of years, but when Jesus shows up and the Magi come through Jerusalem, they're just indifferent. It seems as if they do absolutely nothing. We're busy with life here. We've got lots going on. We're just living and doing when we really can't see anything outside of the realm of our own experience here. And they had no idea that God was doing this powerful thing in the world. They were just living life. You ever just feel like you get caught up living life and you have no idea that maybe God is doing crazy good things around you and you just don't see it? I'm just trying to get to work and back every day, Rick. I'm just trying to make ends meet, get the bills paid, get the kids dressed, off to school, back home the next night, get up the next day, do it all again. And sometimes I wonder if God is working in powerful ways around me and I'm not even aware. You know what I've been doing? I've been, uh, I've been looking up more. Only because of studying this passage. Though. That's, I'll be honest with you, that's it. That's what motivates me. And, uh, and I've been looking up and I've been noticing the stars some. I just try at night to kind of look up. As I'm driving along, I just try to see what kind of lights can I see in the sky. Because I don't look up much. I look at lights, but the light that I typically look like is one like this. That's the light that I typically look at. Uh, I'm always looking at the light. This one. We look at screens a lot, don't we? I think we look at the light, but we find ourselves looking down, not up. Most of the time we're looking down, not up. But in the ancient world, they paid attention to the lights in the sky. Do you know why in the ancient world they paid attention to the night sky? Because they believed that the world was somehow very connected. And they believed that what happened in the sky was often reflected on earth. But you can back that around and say it the other way. They also believed that when something remarkable happened on earth, it would be reflected in the sky. And so the Magi followed a star because it had to mean that something remarkable was happening on the earth. They probably traveled 900 miles with camels. It probably took months And they probably didn't travel just the Magi alone, but they were probably an entourage of people traveling with them for safety. And we don't have any idea. I know I'm going to mess with your song, We Three Kings, but they probably, we don't have any idea how many there were. Nobody ever says. And we assume that legend kind of made it three because there were three gifts, but there could have been 12, there could have been 15, there could have been eight. We don't know how many there were. 
And they probably weren't kings at all. They were probably spiritual advisors to kings, but they probably were not kings. And they weren't Jews. They were Gentiles. But they had read the Old Testament prophecy, and they believed that a God was going to do something remarkable in the world, and they wanted to witness it. And when they came into the presence of Jesus, their response, very different than Herod's with hostility, and very different than the religious leaders' indifference, they fall to their knees in the presence of this little toddler, and they worshiped him. And they gave him gifts. And so here's all these people. The event of Jesus coming and they all respond so differently. There's faith and there's doubt and there's acceptance and there's rejection and there's rebellion and there's, you know, submission. There's everything from jealousy and hostility to worship. And so this is where we are. And I know it took me a long time to get here, but we're here. And so I'm going to sit down. I'm going to look you in the eye and I'm going to ask you, when you were confronted with Jesus, what was your response? So when you were confronted with Jesus, how did you respond? I know how Herod responded, and I know how the religious leaders responded, and I know how the Magi responded. Here's what I'm asking you. How did you respond? And so I think that some of you are saying, oh, Rick, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I grew up with it. Many of you, not all of you, but many of you, in fact, the large majority of you would say, I grew up with it, okay? I mean, the people that I love and trusted, they love Jesus. And so Jesus was just always this positive thing. And I was taught from the time I was very small, Jesus loves me, this I know. I mean, for me, Jesus was just love. But Matthew is careful. And he quotes the scripture. And when he quotes the scripture... He gives us some words that are descriptive about Jesus. And he uses words like these. Are you ready? King. And words like ruler. Are you hearing me? And those titles imply the need for decision. Who is going to be the ruler of my heart? Who gets to be in charge? Who gets the controls in their hands? And that requires for you and for me to decide, to choose. And I will say it one more time. It is the most important decision that you will make in all of your life. And it will affect every aspect of your life and it will determine the kind of person that you are in this life and it will determine the world to come for you. Bottom line. Matthew doesn't stop there, but he quotes all of Micah's words. In those few verses. And he tells us about what kind of a ruler he will be. So let me tell you a story, okay? I was in my office a few days ago. And I was with Ron and Sarah Willard. Now Ron and Sarah are people who have been serving in Swaziland. That little country in southern Africa. 
And they have been there, and they will go back and serve after Christmas the rest of the year. Um, and then they have agreed to go and serve a second year for us, and we could not be more pleased. They represent Bethany First Church while they're there. And so they said to me the other day, there is a pastor in Swaziland that has our heart. His name is Bege Dlamini. And they said Bege was raised in Manzini and felt a call to ministry as he grew older. And there was a church in N. Canyuzini five years ago that says to him, Bege, we would love for you to come and be our pastor. So they said, we got to tell you about this church, though. Don't get this idea of church like this when you think of church. They said it is actually a few poles and some corrugated tin for the roof and then some corrugated tin again for the sides. So they said, it's not really a church building, Pastor. It's like a shelter. It would keep a little sun off and it would keep a little rain off, but that's about it. It's poles, corrugated tin for the roof, corrugated tin for the sides. And Bege said, I feel God is calling me to end Kenyazini to be your pastor. But I have a request. And they said, you have to know him, okay? He's a, he's a very humble, very gentle man. He's not arrogant. He would never ask for anything. But he said, I have a request. Would you build me a house to live in? Because I live two hours away. And when I come to be your pastor that I felt like God has called me to be, I do not want to be your infundisi. So it kind of looks, sounds like E-M-F-U-N-D-I-S-I. So I'll say it and then you repeat it, okay? Infundisi. You know what an infundisi is in Saswati? You know how you translate that into English? I don't want to just be your infundisi. I don't want to just be your preacher. He said, if I come, I want to be your Milosi. I'll say it and then you say Milosi. Milosi. Do you know what Milosi is in Saswati? You want to take a stab at it? Hmm? What? Shepherd. I want to walk with you. I want to know your name. I want to be your friend. I want to watch over you. I want to care for you. I want to protect you. And so Matthew says, do you remember the promise? Do you remember the promise? Hundreds of years ago that you're going to get a ruler, but what kind of a ruler is he going to be? A shepherd. He is going to walk with you and He is going to protect you and He is going to know your name and He is going to care for you. I can follow a ruler like that. I can give my heart to a ruler like that. Amen? Amen. I think sometimes the most profound truth comes in the most simple language. Language that a child can understand. And I heard the song again the other day, and it's always at Christmas time sung by a child. What can I give him? If I were a shepherd, I would give him a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would sure do my part. What can I give him? I'll give him my heart. And then what can you give him? What can you bring? What can you offer 
that's fit for a king. Bow before Jesus. That's where you should start. What can you give him? Give him your heart. That's simple stuff. Deep, deep stuff. One, one other element. God got involved in a major way. His hand was on the process the whole way. He stepped outside the realm of human possibilities and he put a star in the sky so the wise men could come. He warns them in a dream, don't go back to Herod. God will go to any length. He will make every effort to rescue you from your plight. It's the story of Advent. Ted, you want to you wanna walk over? I'd love for you to. Ted is a great guy. He's been a part of our church for a long time. His name is Ted Bader. He's a medical doctor and has served in that field for all of his career. But Ted, uh, many years ago, um, you made a decision and you said that Jesus is the kind of ruler that I can trust my life with. Age 17, I knelt at a camp meeting altar and gave the Lord my life. Felt like I swallowed sunshine. (laughs) And so you've trusted Him and you've loved Him and He has been a shepherd. He has cared for you. He has walked with you. And you know He loves you. We had a wonderful pastor here many years ago named Ponder Gilliland. And he has, I think, four children and one of his children, Glafrey was very influential in your life, and you learned something under her ministry. She was a college Sunday school teacher here, and after I had her for Sunday school teacher, she decided to devote herself to a life of prayer, full-time prayer, and not ask anybody for support. And after about three years, people started asking her, teach us how to pray. And I've given her basic seminar like 13 times in my life, But the most important thing she said for us to pray for is, God, teach me that you love me. And Glafrey said, I've prayed that prayer a thousand times, and I still have yet to feel the breadth and length and height of God's love. And for many years, I was a college Sunday school teacher, and I've tried everywhere I go to encourage people, if they're not certain about what's going on, to pray that prayer. God, and even if you're a Christian, God, teach me that you love me. Because that was Glafrey's most important thing she discovered as a full-time prayer minister. And I figure it's a good thing to... I've never had any opposition yes. uh, to in witnessing or anything, just saying... Just pray. Ask God to teach you that. So Ted has been walking with the Lord, this shepherd ruler, who has loved him, watched over him, knowing deep in his heart that God loves him. Okay? And then 2015 comes. And in 2015, Ted has been aware that he has a very unique disease. You're a medical doctor. You know it in and out. But basically it is what? Well, erythromyalgia. About a year ago, I started having very severe vascular blood vessel pain attacks in the feet and they resulted in non-healing ulcers and uh, totally incapacitated me and and I hadn't worked for five months and uh, finally it came to the point to it seemed to me that 
um, I needed to trade my feet for my life. And uh, so I had uh, below knee amputation in, in June this year. And after the surgery, I, my kidneys went into failure. I had a wound infection, and my lungs filled up with fluid. As a physician, it's, it's not a good thing to know what's coming. And uh, it, one evening, I was praying, and, and I felt the Lord take me to the uh, earthly side of the River Jordan, and I could see the celestial city in the distance. And I told the Lord, it's okay if I die. It's okay if I live. I just want to do what you want me to do. Tremendous peace came over my life. And he said, no, I'm not, you don't have to die now. I'm going to, you got more things to do for me. And since then, I, I completely recovered from the kidney and lung problems. And, and uh, the Lord has seen fit to uh, be good to me. And, and uh, I've worked hard at trying to walk and and uh, the Lord's blessed that and blessed the right type of people to help me uh, walk again. I'm in a lot better shape now than I'm in. But I know I would be dead now if, if I hadn't uh, had the help of, of people. But the Lord, through it all, I could feel his love. And, and I have yet to completely understand the love of God in my life. I remember going to see Ted one day in the hospital. And I had a lunch appointment afterwards. And uh, one of the few times in my life I didn't really want to go eat. Um, I wanted to stay with Ted. Um, I've never heard so much faith, so much courage, so much trust, so much love for the Lord. And he said to me, uh, maybe even that day, he said, my goal is that I'm going to walk into church on Christmas Eve in my prosthetics after having lost both legs. And about two months ago, I looked up on a Sunday morning, way before his goal, and Ted comes walking down. And I'm so thankful for what God is doing in his life. Ted, thank you so much for sharing with us today. The reason I tell you Ted's story this morning is because I want you to see a picture of what this looks like in everyday life. This is a ruler you can trust your life with who will not be a dictator, but will be a shepherd, who will walk with you. And even if you come to the valley, as the psalmist says, of the shadow of death, you will not be afraid. Ted said to me, Pastor Rick, when I thought I was dying, when I thought this was it, I'm going to leave this world right here, he said, I had nothing but peace over me. Nothing but peace. This is the kind of ruler that God promised his people. This is a ruler you can trust your life with. Amen. Amen. You want to stand with me? I would love for us to pray together before we go this morning. And, and I've got a feeling that maybe there is somebody here today who is saying, I've been hearing you talk about this is the most important decision I'll ever make, who I let control my life. And maybe you want to come and surrender the controls of your life to Jesus. Boy, you can always look back and say it was Christmas in 2015 that my life changed forever. And I will never be the same again. I got out of the driver's seat and I let Jesus be in control of my life. And it's changed everything. 
It may be that you realize this morning, you know, I know that God works for human possibilities. Stop. I've been living with those words for weeks now. God steps in outside the realm of human possibilities. And He does what's only available to His power. And maybe there's a situation or struggle in your life today. Can't fix it, Rick. If I could, I would, but I can't. I need God's help today. You can come and pray about whatever it is in your life that you're concerned about or whoever you're concerned about or whatever illness you're concerned about. I want you to feel a freedom this morning to come and just meet this shepherd ruler who loves you so deeply. Talk to him about what's going on in your life. So if you want to come and pray, if you want to be anointed for healing, there'll be pastors, one here, one here, and they will anoint you and pray for you. Let's pray together before we go. Sing this song with me, will you? Take up my cross, Jesus.
So may the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of Jesus be with you. God bless you. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.